Hello and welcome to UX Like Us, the podcast for user experience designers, researchers, strategists, and maracas. <laughs> or is that or is that rattlesnakes? I can't tell. <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. I'm your user experience rattlesnake, Roman Burkhardt. Joining me as always is Larry King. Larry, how are you? I'm doing excellent. Thank you for asking. Right on. Man, it's great to be back from our extended break for season two of UX Like Us. It was an eventful summer uh, with both of us changing jobs, but with our kids back in school and days are a little bit more structured, we're ready to record through the rest of the year. So be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts or at uxlikeus.com. Woohoo! So what'd you get up to this summer? Uh, I traveled the world, visited exotic places, um, you know, drank, uh, tiki drinks on the beach in Fiji. Um, no, I did none of those things. None, <laughs> none of those things. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I got a new job. So part of that time was like looking for a job. It's interesting when you're, um, when you get to the point where you're, you know, you've left another job and then you are looking for another job. It, you, 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 you sometimes think that's going to be, you know, oh, you're just going to take this break and you're going to have all this time uh, and right. blah, blah, blah. But really what ended up happening was like, I went into, I, 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 I went into um, sales and marketing of myself for several weeks, which is like kind of a full-time job. Right. Um, but uh, yeah. And so I ended up in something else that's really great and I'm really excited about what I'm doing and um, it's, it's, it's been good so far. So yeah. Fantastic. We didn't get up to too much, just uh, more of a more of a staycation. Uh, but uh, my son, he's he's tried several new hobbies. We uh, we started Dungeons and Dragons. Um, Ooh, yeah! So that's a lot of fun. Magic: The Gathering, uh, various video games, and uh, his his new hobby uh, is the the airsoft guns. So plastic BBs fired at several hundred feet per second. Uh, Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> it's not always easy to be a supportive dad. <laughs> yeah, I run over many a uh, Nerf dart in our uh, lawn with my lawnmower. Because <laughs> I just refuse to pick them up if they're in, if they're on the grass. I'm just uh, if if something's on the grass, I'm I'm just running over the mower. <laughs> you're, you're mulching Nerf darts. <laughs> that's that's right. <laughs> It's good for the turf. Oh, that's good stuff. All right, so what's on deck for season two here? So I was on Twitter the other day. Uh-oh. Do you like the Twitters? Do you go on the Twitters? You know, I, I discovered uh, Twitter a little while after I shut off Facebook, so I, I, I completely deleted my Facebook account, so I'm not on there. But then I started checking out Twitter, and I thought, oh, this is this is cool. This is pretty pretty neat. I, I can see why people do this. And then it quickly turned super toxic, especially on on design Twitter. So now I, I just only I only graze a bit. <laughs> Absolutely. So I was on the Twitters the other day, and you know I I often see things that are um, interesting to me, and I like to you know I I, I I use the bookmark feature. You ever use the bookmark feature? <laughs> Never heard of it. Doesn't really exist. It's 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 a paper tiger. No, no, there actually is a bookmark feature, contrary to popular um, 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 popular opinion. Um, there is a bookmark feature. That's what the and, hearts are, right? Uh, 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 yeah. Well, let's not get into that. Um, 
No, there's a bookmark feature, so you can actually bookmark something, and it doesn't like just show up in your feed for everybody. Said, "Look, Larry bookmarked this thing here. Everybody, look." You know, it's not it's not that type of thing. Where the heart is, like, oh yeah, if you heart something, you're pretty much guaranteed that they're going to tell that your whole feed that you know you hearted something. So, bookmarks are nice because nobody sees what you bookmark, and then what I think is interesting can be just mine. Um, oh. But so. So I bookmark a lot of stuff. Um, and uh, one of the things I bookmarked just recently was this sort of insight that kind of got to a fundamental thing about design and how it is different now than it was in the past. And I thought it was really, it, it really sort of gave me an aha moment about why there's been so why design's kind of been a struggle, you know, over the years in, in, in software and, and, and why we're continually trying to reinvent ourselves and, 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 and make it better and why that's, um, why that's needed. Um, cause you know, design is a practice that's been going on for, you know, a very, very long time. There's been formal methods on doing design for a very, very long time. When you're talking about graphic design or architecture or industrial design, they have, you know, very formalized languages and very formalized, you know, ways of methodologies and ways of approaching things and all that stuff. And we've been like trying to reinvent it, you know, reinvent it over the last 20 plus years when it comes to software. And, I'm always trying to explain, you know, why that is the case to people, right? It's like, well, why aren't we just, don't we just make a bunch of wireframes, um, figure out that yet this is what we want to do, go build it and then move on to the next thing. Cause that's what a lot of people do. And you know, why doesn't that work anymore? Right. That's what that, when you make a, you know, a, a movie poster, you go off, you do things, you do a bunch of iterations. We figure out what we want to do. You print it and then you're done. And then you move on to the next thing. But we found in, in when we're doing software, especially when we're talking about, you know, software that's in the cloud and software as a service and things like that, that model doesn't work anymore. So why is that? Why, why doesn't that model work? Um, and finding ways to explain that to people is sometimes difficult. And I came across a tweet and I will credit Dan Brown, not the, um, not the, the, the novel writer, Dan Brown, but the Dan Brown from, um, from information architecture circles. Yes. The information architecture, Dan Brown, the, 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 the starter of the company eight shapes. Um, and he was pointing out a tweet by Christina Woodkey where she was talking about the difference between design that has a defined end state and design that where there is no defined end state. And that was the fund that idea that there is design that has, you know, that those two types of design are different. And that is fundamentally why they are different was a thing that really just like was sort of an aha moment for me. I have always been averse to um, design process diagrams that are circular or cyclical, right? Uh, we've had these discussions in our practice that no, 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 we can't do an infinity design process. We have to show that it starts somewhere and it ends somewhere. And that was largely driven out of my perception of what our, you know, various partners in, in the business and engineering and so on, um, their reaction to, you know, anything that suggests that, oh, yeah, we just do 
whatever this process is for infinity. Um, it, it doesn't usually seem like it goes over well in meetings. And so I definitely have had more of a fixed linear uh, mindset about design that you do the things. And um, even if you are planning to iterate, you should not plan to iterate indefinitely. Like you should plan for some iterations and then make future iterations kind of earn their keep, so to speak. Um, so when you shared this with me, I thought it was uh, actually a, a really good um, shift of, of mindset to, to understand that, oh yeah, uh, a, a once through single pass kind of design process is legitimate for where, you know, the, the profession has come from historically, but that's just not the case. And, and, you know, when you're designing for digital, but why is that? I think it comes down to a, a, the, the, this, you know, a single idea that, you know, software kind of changes everything. And why does software change everything? And why is it a different animal? Because, you know, we could say, well, doesn't software have an end state, right? Don't we do, we, we, we created a piece of software and now it's done. And then boom, you know, that, that we could design that we could use the old, you know, design approaches where we, we have an idea, we play with some, some options, we decide on an option, we, we code it up and we deliver it. You know, there's lots of software that's been built that way. Um, uh, especially, you know, like, you know, there's lots of, you know, like a calculator app on the on the Mac, you know how 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 often does that thing change? It, it changes very little. It, it does what it does, and you and you're done, right? Um, but when it comes to software and you know software as a service and software in the, in the cloud, um, I, I it that sort of changes everything. And I think there's a couple of different reasons why that changes everything. One of them is just the fact that the bar is always constantly being raised, right? If you're, if you're in the business of creating some sort of service and software that can be replicated by other people. And then now they're playing in your sandbox and they're in your market and now you're competing against them. And it's really the, the fact that it's really easy to compete against somebody else. You know, you write a hundred light of code that does, does something. Somebody else can reproduce that really easily. Right. And so now we have this, this um, we have this competition with the bar always being raised. And so that's, I think that's, that's one of the, the reasons why it's different. Um, it's, it's cause software is, is, is just a, it's a different animal and, and, and it's continually evolving and you, what you're doing can be re replicated fairly easily. And then, you know, the, the bar is always being raised. That was the, the thing that I particularly uh, appreciated about um when when the iPhone came out and iOS really started to proliferate and, you know, senior executives were getting iPhones for Christmas, um, suddenly all the little, you know, uh, design details that used to just not matter at all in, you know, big enterprise-y kind of software, they, they start to get a second look um, because... Like you said, even though iOS wasn't, um, you know, directly competing with the, you know, real estate mapping and, you know, property re reporting software I was working on, but because executives were encountering 
good UX now on, you know, or I should say dramatically better uh, user experience on a daily basis, then they started to kind of turn their attention to our own products and say, hey, this this just doesn't cut it. Yeah. And then they were wondering, well, why can't we just do what they do? And the idea and and the reason why they couldn't do that they do is because we were doing design in a way that didn't, you know, didn't build in the fact that, hey, we're going to deliver something and then we're going to have to deliver that thing again. And then we're going to have to deliver that thing again. And then we're going to have to deliver that thing once again, because once we deliver that first thing, we're, you know, that, that, the fact that that exists and that gets into somebody's life changes the the equation and now because we've enabled them to do this other thing there's all kinds of other opportunities now that that are created that we also can now address but then when we address those things it may change our that person's relationship to that initial thing that we created right and so then that has to be continually thought about and evaluated and 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 re you know reevaluated and so it becomes this like cycle that you know software is 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 never done because it's just grown into this 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 other thing that you can't just you know ignore the the that initial thing you did anymore because it it because some, number one somebody else is going to come around and and do it better or number two um something else that you create or that thing you created changes the the relationship that that person has with your software in a way that demands it you continue you know you have to change it again sure so there's yeah there's just it's 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 just this complex system that has been created because software is different than you know creating a movie poster because a movie poster is just this end state and then you're done with it and you move on to the next thing so i i think it's very fascinating even software design has dramatically shifted with the rise of software as a service, right? So even back when you you know had to press the AOL software onto a CD and distribute it on, you know, magazine covers all around the world, like you had to have an end state. You had to be done and it had to be as good as it was going to get. Or if you were writing a book, it, you know, it had to have a done, you know, a finished day where if there was a typo or a misspelling or an error in fact still in that book, then it was going to just ship that way. And it was going to stay that way until you sold a whole nother edition. And now we just, I think the, the digital distribution um, through the internet, through, you know, always on, always connected plumbing, Right is that uh, now it gives us much more ability to iterate, to launch a piece, and to launch another piece and another piece. And so, if you're not planning to iterate through, um, you know the, the the chances of you nailing it that first time and then being able to, to you know drop the mic and walk away, uh, it, it's awfully slim. Yeah, I mean that, that that's yeah that's a fundamental difference. We can we. we in in the AOL disk days, we didn't have the ability to to continually update and improve, right? So you you had to have that 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 defined endpoint, and now we have the ability to continuously integrate, to continuously deliver features, and that changes the design game completely. And we've you know, and I you know, in the last you know 
five years, we, I think we're really starting to get to the point where we kind of understand it, um, with, you know, methodologies like, you know, lean UX and, and agile development and, and, and things like that. It's like, we can, we, we're, 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 we're now to the point where we're sort of maturing those processes and those, those approaches, and they're becoming more effective now, um, where, you know, 10 years ago, we were still trying to, you know, people are doing cloud software. We're still thinking about it and, and approaching it in the same way we were approaching design that had that defined endpoint yeah i mean even if you think about like um 37 signals with base camp you know revolutionary software that you know was just stunningly elegant considering it was web-based it was you know uh interactive in ways that uh you know previous web-based software just hadn't been but even they, as, as sharp as those guys are, they still ended up like versioning and forking their product, right? It was like, oh, you can keep Basecamp 1 or you can have Basecamp 2. And it yeah, seemed like... Yeah, creating it three times. <laughs> <laughs> but to me, it's a really interesting thing where, you know, is that is that an example of them being kind of stuck in the old mindset of, you know, you have to kind of make a whole, a whole new thing or is that a good example of being able to iterate? I think it's a, it's a different type of iteration. I think, you know, in, in their case, they iterated to a point where, Hey, we've got iterated to this state, but if we want to really move the product forward, we can't, we, we have to shift our paradigms. And, and that was really what, you know, what, um, you know, sort of what drove the, Hey, we're just going to, you know, we're going to cut it off right here. Base camp one is going to be whatever it is. We're going to start base camp two and, and, and start from scratch because there's no way they could have gotten in their minds. They couldn't have gotten to the, the state they wanted to get from that original, um, by just iterating themselves out of that original paradigm. So, um, and I, you know, I see companies do that all the time. They're like, they'll get so far in a certain paradigm and it's like, well, now we just have to like start from scratch and do something else. Or sometimes they try to not start from scratch and just keep building, you know, iterating on this, this old stuff that they had. And then they never get anywhere because that next upstart is just going to, you know, just, you know, eat their lunch. Well, it, through the course of the the Twitter thread and, and we'll link to it in the show notes, but uh, I, I think one of the comparisons that came up was that of like architecture, right? Where like you build a building and then the building is built. Um, and I was kind of testing that out in my mind, like, oh, does that hold true? And I thought through that a little bit and I was like, oh, well, actually, you know, with, with a building, with an architectural uh, space, you can massively overhaul it. You can add on to it. You can modify it. You can change it. But the the core essence of that structure will always be essentially what it was on version one. Um, it, it, it's always just going to have a certain amount of that character. And if you want to do something really dramatically different, you're going to have to tear it down and, and start over or, you know, build next door. Right. Well, that, that's, that's an interesting point because there is actually, there was a, a change in the way, like for instance, um, uh, skyscraper um, buildings were architected back in the early 1900s. There was this fundamental change where they went from making these, you know, bespoke um, buildings to, hey, here is a set of core 
architecture for the building and the rest of it is more open, right? So you've got, you know, you have to have your elevator shaft, you have to have your plumbing and your electrical and all that stuff in this core part of the building. And then from there, you can have these completely open floors that you can configure in any way you want to. So there's like, and that was like a big change and a big innovation in building skyscrapers that enabled people to build bigger, crazier, fancier buildings that still had, you know, those core things that the the building had to have, but yet each of the floors could be configured in whatever way that you wanted to configure it. It's funny because, like I said, you know, for for me, I've had an aversion to like cyclical um, diagrams uh, of processes. Not that I ever felt like, oh, no, you shouldn't continue to iterate. Of course you you should. And I, I guess... I'm partially just guilty of um, thinking that that's a, a self-evident truth when in actuality, everything that we learned about, you know, industrial era management of, of businesses and products is quite the opposite, right? Build a thing, ship it, be done with it. You know, maybe there's a support cycle, but, you know, even, even as breathtakingly uh, modern as iPhones are, there's still the day where it is what it's going to be and whatever flaws it has, that's how it's going to ship and whatever is good about it, that's how it's going to ship. But as of that date, we start working on a whole new device. We're not changing that device. Right. And I think that's one of the fundamental things that's different about those, the, you know, um, uh, design where there's no defined endpoint. I think in order for that to work, you have to be able to create, you have a clear understanding of what success of that feature is, right? You know, what we would deliver this feature. How do we know we're successful, right? Most, most, uh, you know, the old way was like, well, we're going to do a lot of big upfront design to, 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 come up with the best thing that we think it, it, it could be. And then we do it and then we deliver it. And then we're, we've moved on to the next thing. Cause that, you know, cause we got, we got a whole long list of features that, you know, that we need to, to get into the product. Right. Um, and then I, I've, you know, I've seen so many features that I've designed myself, you know, go through that cycle and, you know, they, they don't get used very much because we didn't really continue. We didn't say, okay, here is what we're, how we're defining success. Did we put it out there? Okay. We're, did we, were we successful? No. Okay. Let's go back to the drawing board. How can we make it so that we're, we're going to, we're meeting those metrics where we said the, the, you know, that we defined as success. And that is one of the, you know, it's that whole, you know, lean UX, um, Jeff Gottfeld, um, uh, you know, uh, out outcomes over outputs and, you know, we're not done with this feature until we've gotten to the outcomes that we wanted. Um, so that, and I think that's one of those things that has one of those, Concepts has come out of the fact that the old ways of doing design for that defined endpoint wasn't working. And these are, this is lean UX is one of those things that has emerged to support and, um, and a, a, basically a different approach to design that, that supports that, um, no defined endpoint, um, design problems. So let's dig into that a little bit. What does it look like to be doing it, um, all over simplifying, just call it the right way. Um, wh what are the shifts in practice and in thinking that are required to, to come up to speed? Well, basically, you got to throw away Jira. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> done and done. <laughs> 
Well, that's one of the things. It's like in Jira, it's like, you know, you've got you've got a story, you go, you code it, and once you've completed that story, you click, you know, and it gets tested, right? And then you what do you do? You click done. Right. And then that right. thing's done. And we're on to the next thing because we've got this whole backlog of features that we have to get into this product because that's what product management told us. Um, and so now we forget about feature A that we just worked on. We're on to feature B, C, and D. And But it's not really done because it's only done until when we... It's, it, unless we, you know, until we've got some sort of business outcome that we're looking for. And so having, whenever you create a feature and having like, okay, there's the feature and we expect, you know, to, to, to this outcome for the customer. Right. And if we didn't get that outcome for the customer, we go back to the drawing board and say, okay, this didn't get to the outcome of the customer. We got 50% of the way there. How do we get to the other 50%? And then that feature is not done until we've got it all the way to you know, the, the metric that we were looking for, the outcomes that we were looking for, for the customer. And that's, uh, that's a fundamental change for, from the, you know, the old agile or the, you know, that JIRA um, regimen of, okay, go through the process. We define the story, we do the development, we test it, we're done. We're on the next thing. It's a fundamentally different thing. And you got to get product teams to sort of change how they're thinking about that. But you also have to get product management not to give us this big, long backlog of stuff to do, <laughs> pressuring us to like go on to the next thing all the time. Well, it, it's a good point. Uh, the, the shift of mindset um, is kind of uh, revelatory. Uh, at my new employer, we're using a project management software that makes Jira look like it was sent from heaven and coded by angels. Um, and that particular project management atrocity, uh, I, I struggle with this is done, except that it'll be back, right? There is no ongoing product flow. It's very much you have a task or you have a project and it's either done or not done. And, you know, you can add as many tasks as you want, but ultimately it's like you said, it's, it's binary and, Therefore, just completely overlooks the the more modern sensibilities of this is done for now, um, but we're definitely going to want to re revisit it. Right? Um, it it's one of the reasons that uh, I get kind of <laughs> you know seized up around the word uh, or the term MVP. Right? Like, oh, we're going to ship the MVP. Like, no, please don't. <laughs> it's because you know that we're never going to come back to this. Yeah, and that's the problem. We need to change that mindset. We ought, we should have to, we should come back to this. And the only way we're going to come back to this if is if we are measuring our teams by the outcomes that they're providing to customers, rather than you know, we, hey, we shipped all the we we just we said we were going to ship you know three hundred story points, and we did you know two hundred ninety five. So that's pretty good. All right, so we're going to focus on outcomes rather than activities uh, outcomes. We're going to focus on outcomes. Over outputs. Outcomes over That's outputs. The, okay. That, right. That sounds like a, a good mental shift I, that I can start rehearsing. What what else do we have? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, the, the, uh, the, the, the real trick to all this is you have to get the, you have to get your executives bought into it um, because they're going to, you know, push for, you know, features because getting features requests, big customers and all that stuff. Um, so you you have to you have to change the culture of the entire organization kind of to to to, to get there and do it right in in my opinion. Um, now that doesn't mean you can't start without 
you know, having that buy-in from the top and you can, you know, make some small experiments in your practice to say, hey, we want to do things a little different here. So let's carve off this little tiny slice of things and let's do some experiments and how we approach things and then use that as a way to, to demonstrate the value of, of doing things different and, 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 and measuring outcomes and, and iterating on those things and being able to do that, then that allows you to start, you know, selling that to, to, to other parts of the company. Well, you were kind of tapping into something there that makes a lot of sense. Um, where I am, we've started changing the way things are done by calling things experiments because we've noticed that executives don't clench up quite so hard when you say, oh, we're just going to run a little experiment. Yeah, we're just experimenting. Um, no, no, we're not changing your process. We're just running an experiment. So that might be uh, a good way to gradually, uh, as they say, you know, um, boil the frog slowly, <laughs> you know, to, to just say, oh, yeah, we're, oh, everything else will be business as usual. But um, on this particular thing, instead of defining what done looks like, what if we define what the customer outcomes are that we're hoping to achieve and we give the team license to um iterate experiment and try things until they get there or until we are satisfied that um you know the it's a failed experiment to begin with um uh, yeah experiments one way to do it I, I another way to 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 talk about it is like hey we're we're making a bet that if we do this we're going to get this outcome you know we there's a, a bunch of different ways we can do it you know there's a bunch of different bets we can make but i we're we're going to try we're going to bet on this thing first and then see if that gets us the outcome and then so that we play our bet and then we could see it see if we win or not if we didn't win it's like okay let's let's either we 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 reevaluate the the bet that we made and 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 do something different or or we do or we make some a, a different bet right to 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 that that we say hey well, we're going to bet that that this is this thing is this set of activities is going to get this particular outcome it seems like what we're talking about is uh, at least one, if not several layers up from uh, a design discussion, to be honest. Like your entire um, product development team, so basically your your engineer, product, and design teams all have to be aligned on this to, to really do anything about it, don't you? Yeah, they do. And so... So the the things that we've been trying to implement um, where I am right now is you know sort of the 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 lean UX um, approach and Jeff Got Health has a nice canvas that you can use that it's basically color by numbers getting you through the, you know how to how to do you know lean UX and I've always kind of like. I've been a little worried about using the name and calling it lean UX because once you title it with the name UX, that automatically brands it. Oh, that's the UX team um, doing that. So that's a, that's a, that's a UX thing that they do. And we'll just, you know, we just follow along and whatever they output, we'll, we'll do that. And it's, it really doesn't work that way. And so I've, um, we kind of, in our practice, I kind of suggest that we just drop the UX part of it. We just call it the lean canvas, right? And, and, and brand it that way so that when we are talking to product management and engineering, they don't just think, oh, that's, the, that's what the UX team does. And it's really what the product team does. Well, I got to say, it's a really interesting uh, line of thinking, and I, I appreciate you sharing it with me, and I'm glad we're sharing it with the audience. Um, 
in terms of kind of making that shift. Certainly we've been doing things differently for quite a long time and we've been trying to get, you know, various stakeholders and, and leaders onto the same page with that approach of things for quite some time. Um, but I think sometimes even the, the nuance uh, escapes even us, you know, um, just by virtue of having, uh, you know, grown up on a web where things used to be very different. You know, the approach really was just build the thing and, and move on. Um, certainly a, a mindset that would be perpetuated by like an agency model, right? Like, oh, we've got to satisfy the terms of this contract so we can move on to our next job. <laughs> Yeah. And so I like, yeah, exactly. So it's, 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 it's almost like, you know, instead of coming in and, you know, building a thing and leaving it's, we build a framework by which people can engage in activities that get us to the the customer outcomes that we're talking about. And I think that's kind of the change in mindset that I, I, I'm kind of, um, how I'm kind of thinking about it. It's like, let, let's set up a framework where people can be free to do those explore and do those experiments, make those bets, learn from them and, and, and really measure the outcomes. Um, you know, um, and that's why I like, you know, things like the lean canvas, it gives us a, a sort of structure, but it's just enough structure to get us to, to, to consider the important assumptions that we have create um, hypotheses by where you can measure those assumptions and then create a plan for actually doing that measurement. And I think that's why I like that particular framework. It doesn't describe how you should do that measurement. doesn't d- d- prescribe what the measurement should be. It doesn't prescribe anything other than, Hey, there's these, these, these big assumptions that we, that we have to consider and how you get to those assumptions, you know, is, is up to you and what's right for the, the, the teams and the organization that you're in. Well, true to form, uh, I think we're, we're going to have to put our money where our, our mouths are and um, do that with the show. I know we had been thinking about going into a, a season two with a, you know, a, a whole new jingle and a new format and you know all these changes and everything. Um, and again, with the, with the summer being kind of uh, crazy, uh, we've decided we're going to iterate our way there. So um, rather than just talking about, well, in season two, we're going to do these things differently. We're, we're just going to kind of keep moving things uh, in the right direction. There you go. And so I just want to thank uh, Dan Brown and Christina Woodkey for the inspiration for this tr- product, this topic this week. Um, thank you for being on Twitter and saying really smart things to p- dumb people like me so that I can have aha moments like this so i appreciate both of you and follow you um very closely so thanks well thanks for joining us for another episode of ux like us the show notes are available in most podcast players and also at uxlikeus.com and if you would please leave us a quick review in itunes or wherever you listen to podcasts to help people find the show And as always, we'd love to hear what tools, techniques, and topics are influencing your design practice right now. You can follow the show on Twitter at UXLikeUs. Roman is at Stuperman, and I'm Larry King at LA King. And thank you for listening. We have both kinds of design, country and Western.